I want to do a little poll here this morning. So just with a show of hands, how many people here this morning have heard of something called climate change or global warming? Okay, that's, that's most of you. And how many people think it's a problem? Again, we're, we're in the high 90s here. And the trickiest of the three questions, how many of you think that we probably caused it? Okay, it's good to know who I'm talking to this morning. <laughs> a few months back, four older men in the church came to me, and they were quite concerned. And they were very concerned that I had not heard of global warming or climate change. Um, and they were quite concerned that, that I didn't think that it was a problem and that I was not prepared to do anything about it. So we set up a meeting, and we talked for an hour, and it was a good meeting. It, I think we sort of came to a meeting of the minds during it. And I assured them that, yes, I had, in fact, heard of global warming, and that, yes, it did distress me, and, yes, that I was personally uh, really interested in doing some things about it. But then we got to a deeper level in the conversation. What I discovered was that this wasn't really about global warming at all. This was more about the angst these men were feeling. Angst that the world was burning up, literally. And what they were seeking out from their minister was not some glossy sermon on global warming that would change your minds and make you all aware of it and tell you that it was a problem. But rather, what they probably needed from their minister was some assurance that this was, in fact, a spiritual issue as well, and that the things that they were feeling were being felt by many people, that they were not strange in those feelings, and that the feelings that they were feeling were, in fact, quite distressing. Well, that got my attention, because, you know, I can preach a heady... I'm a pretty smart guy. I can preach a pretty heady sermon on most any topic if I have a little time to research it. But what I can't do is I can't tell you something that you already know and that you are already distressed about and make you feel any better because I'm just like that Buddhist monk. I have not given up sugar myself. I've really tried to cut back on it because I know it's not good for me, but there's sugar everywhere, right? I mean, really. Have you been in the candy aisle in a grocery store recently? There's a big section of sugar there. Not, not, not to mention baked goods and all of the other ways that sugar sneaks into our lives. Well, of course, you know I'm not talking about sugar at all. I'm talking about our use of fossil fuels and the convenient way that we go about our lives, how we zip here and there in cars and fly here and there in planes. But think a minute about that story. Think about the reasons that the monk couldn't just give the mother an instant answer. I think in that story, the most important thing is that she has to go away for a week. She doesn't know why. She's confused. But she's also faithful. She doesn't just give up on this monk. She doesn't just say, well, pff, you know, I'll find another monk. There's plenty of those walking around. I'll find somebody that gives me the answer that I want to hear right when I want to hear it. No. She has to take it on faith that this monk 
is in fact interested in her and in her son, and that he's given her a very clear instruction, and he wants to see her again. So she does what he tells her to. She goes away with her son. He's probably just as confused as anybody. And then she comes back a week later, and she gets the surprising answer. She was right all along, but the monk was not ready to hear the answer, nor was the boy. And so what I'm wondering about today is what are you doing? What are you doing right now to stop global warming? And I'm going to come around with the microphone, and we're going to hear some short answers. I want you to think about what you are doing. What changes have you made in your life? Because this is an issue that affects all of us. I'm looking for nice, punchy, short answers, like, I gave up sugar. (laughs) What are you doing? Just raise your hand, and I'll come around. Bruce is going to start us off in the back. Two years ago, we bought an electric car, and we're replacing our um, natural gas system with an air source uh, heat pump. I saw Alec over here. I don't eat animals or products of animals. Pointing every volunteer I can towards the Environmental Voter Project. I try to filter, you know, we make so many decisions in our lives, and, and I've tried to add that, that lens of sustainability. So when I think about a decision that I'm making, I try to filter it through that sustainability lens and, and add options that I may not have had before. And, and I know it's a journey, um, but to add that is, is part of that journey. I drive a Prius, live in a condo, and I love to recycle. I'm just going to continue on that side. Don't feel neglected over there. I'll get over there. We bring home, we bring home recycling from places that don't offer recycling. We didn't replace our dryer 10 years ago. We line dry. We're moving to a net zero community. We grow vegetables organically and do a lot of recycling. Uh, Talking to people of my own generation and others about the systemic societal causes of these kind of things and the way our society is set up to... uh, Talking to people of my generation and others about the systemic systematic causes of climate change and the people in power who are invested in keeping it this way. Every spring, my kids and I plant fir and spruce trees on a tree farm in upstate New York. Uh, We built a solar panel, so we're now net contributors to the Concord grid. All right, this side you got to do just as well. 
I'm helping to build a website, democracymovement.us, that will hopefully help reclaim our democracy and get people in office who believe also in climate change. I telecommute, and I'm a member of Greenpeace. When possible, we have an illegal laundry hanging tree in our backyard. And um, when both arms work, I hang my clothes out in the, in the summertime. And in the wintertime, I have a clothes rack by the heater so that we try very hard not to use the dryer. Plus, I do a lot of other things. Um, I, I uh, personally, you know, have been um, putting organic waste, otherwise known as garbage, uh, in, into a special, you know, bin uh, where it gets picked up and made into, you know, to compost uh, that is then provided to organic farms, you know, to enrich the, the soil and prevent some of the... Um, Emissions into the atmosphere that occur when it just when it just rots, and I've also recruited some other people to, you know, to do that with me at our condo village. I try to avoid all single serve packaging, and Bernie stole my thunder. But I legally try to air dry all my laundry. <laughs> Uh, we drive a hybrid car, and uh, we contributed to the solar panels on the roof, and um, we keep our house cold in the winter. I, su I support Senator Ed Markey and his Green Deal and all of the other politicians who do. I just bought a plug-in hybrid, and I use the solar panels uh, from our garage to uh, charge the electric ones, even though that the solar will take 22 years payback. Uh, solar panels on our house, hybrid car, um, buy less stuff. But the real answer is not enough. Uh, Elizabeth and I are on the board of an organization that uh, plants trees in the Amazon jungle, and we have a hybrid car and compost. I don't fly except for weddings and funerals. We, we converted our heating and uh, hot water system to a tankless system that saves a lot of energy, and, and we're religious composters. We carpool as much as we can. Uh, we walk places wherever we can and take public transportation. And we support those young people who come to our door from environmental Massachusetts. Just give them a check and listen to what they say. I rarely use my dryer and my house is set at 60 in the winter. We, we do a number of the things that have been mentioned, but we also make an effort to buy locally and seasonally. I 
I got rid of paper towels and paper napkins years ago and used cloth. We moved to a small house in Concord, heavily insulated the attic, and bought an electric lawnmower. Uh, we try to do things individually as family members, but I also work globally uh, teaching um, philanthropic organizations how to think systemically, act systemically, and have a large impact. Uh, many of the things that other people have mentioned, we grow vegetables, compost, etc. But I also seriously support a number of the groups that I think are very effective. Just a couple of them, NRDC, they have packs of lawyers that try to stave off um, what somebody is trying to undo, et cetera, et cetera. And OCI. Solar, less plastic, and we replaced a quarter acre of lawn with uh, chips and pollinators. Um, I'm a, a classroom teacher, so... Um, in the afternoon, um, in the morning, when the sun is up, we turn off the lights in my classroom, and uh, we we use we use the light. And then one of, once a week, um, we have lunch together where they have to bring a, a you know it has to be disposable, and we um, we go outside once a week and we talk about what each kid can do at home, um, and we pick one thing a week and we go by that, and everyone take a pledge and they do that with their family once a week. For, for a book on uh, the ecology of towns, I visited 55 towns in 16 countries and 14 U.S. states and hardly ever saw a solar panel uh, or a wind turbine, although I saw a number of uh, green roofs. And so it seems to me that in, in toward better towns, uh, it would be quite possible for an agency or an organization or a wealthy person to invest in solar panels for towns and villages. Do a couple more. Uh, my husband likes to keep the house super chilly, so I wear long underwear in the house all winter. As much as I rem uh, can, I try to turn the lights off and unplug the electricity when I am not using it. See how smart we are? Oh my goodness. How do you feel now? Who feels better after that go around? A little bit. Oh, okay. So those hands are a little tepid. So that tells me that you feel better, but the problem still exists, right? Of course the problem still exists. And no 15-minute sermon in the world is going to stop it. But we know how to do this. We know how to do this on an individual basis. We know how to do this on a town basis. We know how to do this on a state basis and on a country basis. So what I'm saying to you is that if we all know what to do, then we have each other. Nobody in here is an outlier. Nobody in here is crazy for thinking this stuff's a problem. Nobody in here... Everybody in here has the same spiritual crisis about the environment that you do and that I do. And what we have is each other. And that's really enough. So, how many folks were raised in the Christian tradition? Just show of hands. So that's quite a few of you. Okay. 
Keep hands up if you sang the doxology every week. All right, so for you all who didn't get the pleasure of singing the doxology, this is a great thing. Even if you're a kid, you're like, it just, they, it always starts the same. You stand up and you always sing the same thing. And you sing, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. We're Trinitarian, remember. As it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen. Now, as a kid, I remember being delighted by the doxology. Not only did it have the organ behind it, but you got to stand up and you knew what was coming, right? There was no guesswork with the doxology. You knew how to sing it. It was always the same tune. It was always the same words. But it was that last phrase that stuck in my mind. And even as a small child, I used to just work that little phrase around in my mind. Because world without end, what did that mean? That didn't mean the world exactly as I knew it that day without end. What it meant to me was that the world would be here, that the world was bigger than I was, and that it had been here for millions and millions of years and that would go on for millions and millions of years. But even as a small child, I took that world without end more as a warning than a comfort that the world would go on, and it would not always include me in it, but that as long as I was alive, I was in part responsible for it. And that's what I think we do as religious people. We, most of us, didn't create this problem. We're all young enough to have not lived through the Industrial Revolution and all of that. We are ourselves living lives that... Uh, have a certain degree of luxury and privilege, and we can do some things ourselves, but collectively, we can do much more than that. And this world will also go on without each and every one of us. Each of us will die at some point, and the next generations will uh, pick up where we have left off. What I want to tell you today is that it's like that mother who took her son to the Buddhist monk. And she said, Tell my son to stop eating sugar. It's bad for him, and it's making him fat. And the monk thought a minute or two, and he said, Come back in a week, and I will give you an answer. So the mother goes away, and she comes back in a week with her son. Same problem. Nothing's changed. And the monk looks at the boy and says, Stop eating sugar. The exasperated mother, who is all of us, says, Why couldn't you have just told him that last week? And the monk says, Because last week I had not given up sugar myself. So be it. Amen.